Let's pray. What a song reminds us that you're worthy of all the glory and the honor and praise. Lord, not just from our lips, but from our lives. Lord, I pray for these young ones. They would learn that truth that uh, friends of Jesus, they can be your friends. And that you know them, that you want to know them more deeply as they get to know you more deeply. And pray for us in the sanctuary, Lord. Your word would make a difference as we hear it, as we reflect upon it, as we commit ourselves to doing fulfilling what you call us to be as your people. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, God, Redeemer, my rock. Amen. God bless you guys. Good morning. We're continuing a series in the the gospel according to Jonah, as we're calling it. And uh, we initially, this was going to be four weeks, but actually next week we're having a, a, a privilege to have a guest speaker, uh, Dr. Kim, Lloyd Kim, who's the new head of missions to the world for our denomination. He's going to be here to, 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 to give the word of God. So my responsibility today is to do a chapter and a half as we're going to finish the book of Jonah, this great gospel according to Jonah. And, and Bill asked a, a question earlier in the service as we began about just what, what, what is God like? And that's, I want to start there, too. What is, what is this God that we've come to worship and come to know? What is he like? Uh, there, there are a series of questions that humans ask often. They're very basic questions. How, how, how did I get here? Is there a God who made me? If so, what is that God like? What kinds of people does that God like? or even love. How does, does this God love all people? Does this God love me? Does he love the rich and the poor? Does he love the educated and the not-so-educated? Does he love the, the religious people and the non-religious people? What is this God like? Does he love the young but not the old? Does the God that we've come to understand even love the other? The one who to me is the other. The prophet Jonah had an answer to that, that question. His answer was, yes, of course, because he had a biblically shaped mind. But his belief clearly didn't govern his personal behavior and his personal attitudes. His conclusion was, yes, God loves them, but I sure don't. That's the conflict in this book as we've been seeing over the last few weeks. His hatred of the Assyrian enemies caused him to attempt to run away from God. Foolish as that might seem to be. We've seen the map a couple times as God calls him to go this way 550 miles. He goes that way 2,500 miles. No, God, I'm running away from your presence. I don't want to do what you've called me to do. This is God's prophet. This is God's spokesman. This is God's messenger. This is God's man. No, I'm not doing it, God. Runs the other way. He's in rebellion against God. So he goes on a ship, and the ship goes into the sea, and eventually he ends up in the belly of the great fish, and then he's vomited onto dry ground, as we saw last week. He came to some good conclusions that, indeed, salvation, deliverance is from the Lord. 
They had to submit to that. And so he goes a second time to the city of Nineveh, the great head of the city of the Assyrian Empire. He preaches a very weak message, as we saw last week. But God uses that weak message and saves people. So, so Jonah is obedient in his actions, but his heart is definitely not there. We're going to see why. Let's, let's read the passage. Uh, today we're looking at jo- uh, Jonah chapter 3, 6 to 4, the end of the chapter. Let's read the ESV translation. You see it to your right. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through, through Nineveh. By the decree, decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. But let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out, out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is, his, that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But, chapter 4, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord said, Do you do well? to be angry. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. So that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God's Word. My title is Hot Pursuit. Hot Pursuit. I'm not talking about um, uh, a movie from a couple years ago. I'm not talking about a video game that some of you maybe played last week. I'm talking about hot pursuits, a term, an intentional chase term that police often are in, they get an APB and they go after someone, they, 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 they see that vehicle or that car, that, that individual, and they, they go after them. And, they, and, they, and you've seen it in the movies quite often where a hot pursuit takes place. But actually, I understand it's even more of a technical legal term 
um, the, the, that has to do with the Fourth Amendment crossing these boundaries. Uh, the police may enter the premises where they suspect that a crime has been committed without a warrant when a delay would endanger their lives or the lives of others and lead to the escape of the alleged perpetrator. So it's a technical term in the legal world. But I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about the fact that this whole book of Jonah is a hot pursuit. The whole book. It, it, it's about a pursuit, and it's a hot pursuit. It's an intentional chase down. It's God is chasing down some people. He's chasing down a king in a city. He's chasing down a prophet. That's a great term for this book. God is pursuing a lost king who is far from God's covenant people and far from God's grace. But he's also pursuing a prophet, his own covenant prophet, who claims to follow him and obey him. He's appointed to be a special proclaimer of the message of God, and God is chasing him down and challenging him about his own internal heart problems, about his hatred for lost people of Assyria. See, God loves all people. God loves all people, and he challenges, Jonah, he challenges us about our, our limited commitment to loving people, even other, our enemies, even the other. You know, we, we should be people who worship God, and we should be people who imitate God, and, 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 and the God that we worship is one who pursues pagan kings and, 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 and Jewish prophets. And we should imitate his compassionate heart by reaching out to our enemies, the enemies in our lives, people who, who just might be people who need God, who need to know Jesus. I want to see three people in this passage as we look through the, 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 the structure of it. There's a king, a repenting king. There's a prophet who's a pouting prophet. And there's a Lord who's a pursuing Lord who goes after people. First is this repenting king. It's the, it's, it's the king of Nineveh. He's never named, but he's the, he's the leader, this political leader of this, this uh, monarchy. And in verse 6, the king, the king hears. And what he heard is what happened in the first five verses of the chapter, where a grassroots revival happened in the city of Nineveh as people began to, to hear this message, this, this, this very weak message of Jonah that in 40 days God's going to going to bring destruction upon your people. No message of love, no message of grace, no message about God's mercy or compassion. It's just a turn or burn. In fact, it really wasn't turn. It was just you're going to burn. That's all it was. This weak message. But God used it. The people repented. And it, 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 no, the voice of it, it rises to the level where the king uh, hears about it. What's the king's reaction? The king himself is going to repent. Look at the, what happens. Verse 6, there's sackcloth, there's ashes, the, the ancient signs of remorse in that culture. Repent is to turn, to change the mind, to, to commit to a change of life and behavior. And so the king, rather than smashing this grassroots revival, he enters into it and he promotes it. He, he, there's a proclamation, a decree in verse, in verse 7. That, that he calls the nation to repentance, verses 7 to 9. It's, and he intensifies the nature of it. He broadens it. He says, he, 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 let's include, include not just the people, but the animals, <laughs> the entire, uh, the, the, the animals, the beasts of, the, of that area. Uh, part of, again, they're, they're part of the whole structure of the society, you know. Uh, you, you drink milk because it came from a beast, you know. You eat meat, if you do, because it came from a beast, you know. The whole system is involved in this. That's, that's the picture here. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's, there's an intensification of, of the call to repentance that he does. He said, and he, he even says, uh, don't even drink. It's, it's not just a fast from food, a fast from drink. So the king is on board. By the way, the sound of the, uh, the animal, animals wailing would be intensified because 
because they weren't allowed to eat. And I understand that when animals don't eat, they make a lot of noise. So, again, the, the will of the people, the will of the animals will be heard by God. And maybe, maybe by chance, God will hear and, and, and not send the doom that Jonah had said would come. So the king here decreed that they would call on the true and living God and commit themselves to turning away. Who knows, verse 9, perhaps, maybe, God will have mercy and spare them. Now, let's be clear, be clear here. Kings, in fact, any human leader, they don't quickly humble themselves. This is the supernatural thing that's happened here. He confesses that his people are involved in evil ways and violence and, and honesty and integrity from human leaders is very important to God. And we have it here. I'm pretty sure that, that he does not come to that conclusion just on his own, but the Spirit of God is working here. In, in, in John 16, we saw a few weeks ago that the Spirit's ministry is to, is to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And this is not just him coming to conclusion. The Spirit is at work, not just in the grassroots, but in the big house. King's house, king's palace. So verse 10, what happens? As a result of all that takes place in Nineveh, the capital of the Syrian empire, uh, uh, it says in verse 10, when God saw that, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. He didn't do it. He, in other words, he honored the faith of the people by not punishing them. See, implicit in Jonah's warning, though Jonah didn't make it very clear, <laughs> was the promise. If they repented, that God would relent. God would not do what Jonah said would happen. So, so see, the, the point is this. What is our God like? We have a God who delights in repenting people. We have a God who delights in the conversion of the lost. We have a God who, who rejoices in heaven when sinners repent, when a city repents, when the king, leader of a city, repents. God delights in that. That's who our God is. He's not a God who delights in the destruction of the wicked. He's a God who is a God of judgment, but he doesn't delight in that. What is our God like? How do we pray for our nation's leaders? Last week we talked a little bit about uh, revival. We talked about the revival during the Civil War, um, the, the, the proclamation by President Lincoln um, for a national day of, of prayer. And I've been thinking about how, how do we, as our nation is on the verge of an, of an election, how do we think about our, our leaders and how we pray for our leaders, uh, um, the choice that we have and, and, and the future life of a leader, because we're called to pray for leaders. And I, I thought about the, this book, Obama Prayer, by, by, by Craig's uh, brother, who is actually the, the PCA minister, who's, who's, who, who leads a ministry of state in our denomination to, um, to uh, D.C. and down in D.C., the politicians, and, uh, uh, in terms of prayer meetings and, and, and Bible study and evangelism, a, a discipleship ministry down there. And uh, just, just some, some, some great insights. The book is, is a book about how to pray for the president. Yeah, he had some prayer meetings when, when the, the current president was, was uh, sworn in, and from that emerged a book. And I'm just looking at the book. What it is, it's a, it's, a, it's a series of meditations and reflections and scriptures and prayers about th that are for the president. And I, I don't know if he's going to come up with another version, because we, we're going to have a new president. The eight years is over. We're going to have a new president. And what will that book look like? I don't know if there'll be a book. But, but, but here's, here's the kind of thing in the book. It's a great book. As, we, as our nation goes through this transition, we think about how to pray for the president. In the, in the fourth chapter, for instance, he talks about the, the quality of wisdom. There are 12 chapters. Each has one quality, one thing to pray about for, for the president. And this one is wisdom. Now, this is how it begins. What does it take to carry out daily the work of being president of the United States? 
It is not done alone in a bedroom office sipping a hot hot cup of cappuccino or wearing silk pajamas. The initial work of an administration is is to quickly fill the positions of the cabinet, advisors, and councils. For example, under the heading of Executive Office of the President, you'll find a long list of positions and names. The list specifics uh, such areas of concern as the economy, environment, domestic policy, national security, AIDS, drug control, science, trade, and intelligence. Then he talks about the fact, he talks about wisdom. That they, these leaders need wisdom. The president needs wisdom to make right choices. Then he says, King Solomon understood what it meant to have his court full of advisors and counselors. So again, back in, in, the, in the Old Testament, Solomon had advisors and counselors that are talked about. They had, they, and he goes on. The point is simply this. He quotes Proverbs chapter 8. By me, kings reign and rules, rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes and govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. The point is simply this. We need to not just pray for the leader, but pray for the advisors and counselors of the leaders. And as we think about the coming election, don't just pray for the candidates, he or her. Pray for the people who are around him or her. That's imp- those are important prayers that we can begin to do even now as we uh, think about our responsibility as citizens of this nation. And we need to be praying, as we said last week, that we'd be a people who are strong but humble. A repentant king. The second thing in the passage is, is the prophet. And I'm calling him the pouting prophet because we're, let's look at Jonah. He, he, he's a spiritual leader. He's the prophet. He's the preacher. He's the one who proclaims the word of God, but he lacks joy. Now, when, 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 you, when God sends you somewhere as a preacher and you have great success and the success is visible and people come and they turn and they hear the word of God through you, you would expect to be great joy. Not for Jonah. Chapter 4 begins, but. <laughs> but. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. He's ticked at God for saving those people. Do you get it? Do you understand that? Do you feel what he might have been feeling? It's kind of awkward, isn't it? I mean, you know, preachers want to be successful. He was successful, and he's upset. I tried to get into that. I tried to think, what, what, is, what would that be like? Probably for, for me, as an African-American who's a, a proclaimer of God's word, it would be like God telling me, I want you, clearly saying, I want you to go and talk to David Duke of the Ku Klux Klan and give him the gospel. That would not be an easy assignment for me. I'm just saying. That'd be tough. I would say, God, you didn't really say that. Get, find somebody else. I would be like Jonah, going that way instead of that way. I'm just telling you what, what the deal is. That, we have to appreciate the, call, the challenge for Jonah. And, 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 and so that, that's why he had that detour in the, in the great fish. And then he goes, because, he, he, because God showed him you've got to go anyway, and he has success, but he's not feeling success. He's feeling the frustration. You remember in the New Testament... There was a dude who was a leader of the Jews, and he was going on a hunting trip. He was hunting Christians to put them in prison. His name was Saul of Tarsus, and God knocked him off a horse and blinded him and saved him. And God told a dude named Ananias, go talk to Saul of Tarsus. That would be like God telling Jonah to talk to the king of Nineveh. God telling me to talk to David Duke. Ananias didn't pull a Jonah. What did he do? He went. 
he went and encouraged this, this man who was the enemy of the church. He didn't have the spirit of Jonah. He possessed the spirit of Jesus. So you need, we need to feel the frustration of the call that Jonah has. Look at, chapter, look at verse 2. <laughs> He's, he went to the, the, the city, the, the, the east uh, suburbs of the city, to look over the city and wait for the, to see if God was going to still be, be faithful and, and, and destroy the city, bring, bring the enemy in, or was God going to be merciful? He was hoping to see the city get, get ransacked. He, in verse 2 he prays, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to live than to die. You know, let him take my life and let it be. That's not what he's singing here. That's not what he's singing. He's saying, look, take my life. This is ridiculous. How can you save these kind of people? Jonah knows his Bible, though, and Jonah knows Exodus chapter 34, Psalm 86, Psalm 145. He knows that God is merciful and gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, what's good at this point in, 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 in the story is that at least he's angry at God, but he's talking to God. That's good. When you're angry at God, don't stop talking to God. So he honestly tells God how he feels. And why he feels that way, as if God doesn't know it. But it's good to talk to God. He, 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 initially, what did he do? He shut up and stupidly tried to run from God. But he is clearly depressed. He's, he's depressed. He's like Elijah earlier in the, in the scriptures. The fish experience was clearly a, an incomplete repentance for him. Clearly. Why is he so angry at God? Well, again, the Assyrians and Israel have a deep history of hatred and, and against one another. Uh, and, and, and several generations later, they're going to not repent, and God is going to judge them. The book of Nahum uh, in the scriptures, one of the, another one of the minor prophets, testifies to that. And yeah, there, there's, this, there's this antagonism, this hatred, hostility towards them. And, and that's, why, that's why Jonah is upset. There, there's this human tendency, so, though, to, 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 to demonize the other that Jonah has here. Though he doesn't know the people individually, he's demonized them as a culture. This is, this is prejudice. This is racism. This is, this is the, what the scriptures call in James 2, verse 1, the sin of partiality. James chapter 2, verse 1. The sin of prejudice. Over and over again, in the New Testament, we're reminded of this horrible sin. Let, let me say a couple things that might surprise you, though. Though Jonah was prejudiced, he was still a believer. You can be prejudiced and still be a believer. Rest on that a little bit. Let, sit, sit on that a little bit. He's prejudiced, clearly. Doesn't want God to love those folk. But he's still a believer, the true living God. He's inconsistent? Absolutely. But he's a believer. Not only is he a believer, God used him to reach those other people even though he didn't like those other people. Rest on that one for a little bit. But here's the great news. Though he's inconsistent and he's a racist, I'm going to use that phrase, God continues to pursue him. You, you hear that? You feel that? God doesn't give up on him. 
You know what that means? There's hope for you and hope for me. <laughs> There's hope for you. There's hope for me. God doesn't let him be comfortable where he is. God creates discomfort that he might come to his senses and know that God loves those people. I need to love those people. A couple applications. One, one is an application for minor, people who are in the minority like, like me. Um, we, we need to not minimize what God can do through imperfect people. Sometimes as a minority person, we say, he's a racist, God can't, God can't use him. Well, yeah, be careful. Let's not minimize that God can't use people who are imperfect. You know why? Because he's using us. There's a tendency, particularly in this 21st century, to, to see the sin of prejudice as the unpardonable sin. Isn't there? You can do almost anything, but don't be bigot. It's not crazy coming from a black man, but I'm giving you word, okay? Be careful. Be careful. The ultimate accusation that one can make is the accusation that someone is a racist or, or bigoted. And, and again, I don't want to minimize the horror of those kinds of sins. But, but God uses racists. God uses people who are prejudiced. God uses people who commit the sin of partiality. Doesn't, doesn't mean we should do that. But we do that because we're, we live in a fallen world. We need to realize that some disciples are at the point in their journey where they're like Peter, who is confronted by Paul in Antioch, Galatians chapter 2, about his cultural prejudice. While some believers are in the, the position in their journey where they're like Paul, who do the confronting. There's room in the body of Christ for, for, for those who need confronting and those who do the confronting. And the body of Christ is a place where that can happen. Because we have the gospel. We have the gospel that says that I am a sinner and you're a sinner. But God loves me and God loves you just as I am and just as you are. There's room in the body of Christ to begin to address this deadly sin of racism. Only the gospel, in fact, the reality that God loves us and our enemy can give us power to make any progress in this race struggle, this poisonous thing. Um, many of you know, we were, Craig and I were part of a book of PCA leaders, uh, in a book called Help Us, uh, Heal Us Emmanuel. And in that, in, in that book, about four or five of us mentioned a very, very significant event that happened a couple years ago, which was the, the tragic uh, shooting of, of, in Charleston, South Carolina, of the, the Wednesday night Bible study prayer meeting by Dylan Roof. I mentioned in my chapter, you, you, if you remember the incident, well, there were nine people who were there at the Bible study. He, they, he came, to, this man, young man came into the study, fellowship with them, and then he turned on them and, and killed them. And uh, in my chapter, I wrote this. <laughs> In, in June 2015, I watched the news in amazement as the family members of the nine Emmanuel Amy church victims spoke words of forgiveness to Dylan Roof, the man who had senselessly killed their loved ones. They said their faith in Jesus Christ compelled them to do so. I'm angry, but I must forgive you. God have mercy on your soul was their general message. You know, the existence of the African-American church is a miracle. You think about it. 
Europeans brought Africans to the shores of America through the horrific middle passage across the Atlantic Ocean. We were oppressed through the institution of chattel slavery, while the oppressors encouraged us to embrace some notion of their God. How asinine, how ridiculous, but how incredible the sovereign plan of God. As Joseph stated to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as you are today. Genesis 50, verse 20. My ancestors had to forgive their oppressors, the very oppressors who had taught them a distorted, unbiblical view of Jesus. Yet, somehow, we learned enough to declare, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. The point is simply this. God doesn't leave us where we are. He takes us, even in our misery and our sin and our pouting about life and our, our subtle or even not so subtle rebellions, and he seeks to make us what he wants us to become. Sometimes that's painful. In fact, usually that's painful. But God is working in our lives. He who's begun a good work will accomplish it the day of Christ. We who are the, the cultural minority need to understand that, that, that God not only loved Nineveh, he loved Jonah. Do we, do we, do we understand that? This leads us to the, the third point, which we've been talking about all the whole time. This is this Lord. Who is this Lord? What is this God like? This Lord who pursues people, who chases kings who need to know him, and who, who chases prophets who need to know him better. The pursuing Lord. And again, look, 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 look at the text in, in verse, verses 4 and 9. This Lord, God comes to, to, to Jonah with questions. You notice that? In the counseling class on Friday nights with, with lamp class. God, God uses questions, the question technique, to, to draw him out, to help him understand and think. And he repeats the question, do, how, do you do well to be angry? Now, the first time he asked the question in verse 4, uh, Jonah ignored it. He just, yeah, he just went, went, he went to the city, the east of the city. Um, this time, though, in verse 9, he, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I, I'm right, I have a right to be angry. God asks questions often of his people. Adam, where are you? Isaiah, who shall I send and who will go for us? Peter, do you love me more than these? Saul of Tarsus, why are you persecuting me? God uses questions to draw us out. And he uses questions to draw out Jonah. Verses 6 to 8, God, God, God is pursuing him not just with questions, but with actions. God gives him a plant, and he begins to love that plant. And God sends, he wakes up, there's a worm that destroys the plant. And, and then God, he appoints, he appoints, he appoints a wind, this east wind, this Sirocco, this warm east wind, um, and, and to make Jonah feel more miserable than he had felt in the beginning. <laughs> what is God doing? Jonah's totally frustrated. Verse 9, God says, you will be angry for the plant? <laughs> and he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. There he is again. And the answer is God, but he is depressed, and he feels righteous in his reaction. And so we have the last two verses where we see God's gentle but final rebuke in the form of a question. He says, he says you're concerned. You have pity on, for little things such as this plant. You didn't make it. He's, you know, God made it. He says, I made the plant and I made the people of Nineveh as well. 
I have a relationship with the people of that city. I bless them with the provisions of, of common grace, the sun, the rain, family, the people to care for them, people who they care for, protection. They're, 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 these people have survived. They're protection from the dangers. They have food. They have milk that come from the livestock, which, are, which I've allowed to grow. Why? Because they are not just evil people. They're more than that. They're more than that. There are people in desperate need of grace and forgiveness. And God says, I am concerned about these things uh, more, more than, than about your needs. I'm concerned about the people and the cattle even. You, Jonah, are my prophet. You are my representative. And you need to look beyond your faults and see their needs. The one key word in this whole passage is the word in, translated in the, in, in the ESV, pity. You pity the plant. And I should not pity Nineveh. It's, a word, it's an interesting word. It means some translated concern, some compassion, pity, compassion. It's a word we, we heard similar to the word that we saw in the Gospels where Jesus, he, they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. That's a feeling word. It's a feeling word. Again, we're asking the question, what is God like? Jesus shows us that there's, a, there's somewhat an emotional element to God. There's somewhat of an emotional element to our God. And again, it's not the flighty human reactions that we're so accustomed to, but pure, perfect emotion. Often, of us, often we, we wrongly think of that God is like Mr. Spock in Star Trek. You know, you, know, you know what he's like. Pure reason. No emotion, no feeling. That's not what God is. And, and, and read the gospel. Jesus shows us that God is not like that. God cares. God cares deeply. God cares with emotion and with, with a perfect, pure, godly, holy emotion. What is it that keeps us from caring about the souls of lost people? Is it prejudice or hatred like, like Jonah? We just don't like those other people. They don't deserve God's grace. Is it a poor theology, maybe, that even doesn't understand the desperate lostness of people? Is it just busyness and selfishness that, no, oh, I just don't feel like helping people who desperately need God's gospel? Several weeks ago, Brother Tony Tyree did an offertory, maybe the words of that song reminding us of the simplicity. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Now, Tony's blind. I love that phrase. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where, on they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. We're called to take his light to a world where wrong seems right. What would be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost? Through his love, our hearts can feel all the grief they bear. They must hear the words of life that only he can share. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. When will we realize we must give our lives where people need the Lord? How do we respond? How do we respond to this pursuing God? Well, first of all, we have to worship him. The fact that, he, that, that we're so unworthy of his pursuing us, but he pursued us by his grace. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, the sons and daughters of God of the living God. And that's what we are. First John verse, chapter 3 and verse 1. The first response we must have is to worship this God who by grace has saved us. But the second is to share that grace with others. 
that what Jonah didn't want to do, what he was so hesitant to do, reach out to those in our lives. Reach out because God cares. God, God, God is intentional about reaching lost people. We talked about God's pursuit being a hot pursuit. The other day, my, my oldest son, um, he, got, he got engaged. He asked his, his girlfriend to, to, to marry him. And that, so, the, so, so Josh was engaged. We're thankful for that. We like marriage, by the way. We really like marriage a lot. Um, but it, it took us back to the, the days when Terry and I were engaged, uh, became engaged. And even before, the days before that, when I began to pursue her. There's something, there's something built into, into us where God gives uh, uh, us the, the instinct to pursue the one that we want. And, and in, in that pursuit, you find that one, and, and they say yes, and then you, then you move on with that. And, and I, I'm glad that that still happened, that there's a pursuit that takes place. Because I believe that models our God, <laughs> who's always pursuing a bride. The scriptures say the church is the bride of Christ. And God is pursuing his bride. And you and I are the bride, and God's pursuing us. And the reality is that you and I are like Jonah, messed up, <laughs> sometimes with a messed up message, but God's using us. And God's using us to do what? To reach people that he wants to pursue, who are people who we may not even want to pursue. Because that's who he is. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God that we worship. Let's pray. Well, the book of Jonah is so rich, so full, these four brief chapters. I pray you would use this uh, to, to sanctify us, Lord, to help us to grow, to know you more deeply, and to be your people, to, to reach out to, to this city, this city, Baltimore, where, where there are so many people who don't know their right hand from their left, who, who just don't know, they don't, they don't understand life. As we, 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 we're not any special, but you've, you've revealed that to us through your word. Thank you for your word. And, Help us to share that with others. Help us to, to be alert to your Holy Spirit as you sanctify us that we might be people who truly can love others as you call us to. But use this message in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just close with, uh, let's, sing, let's sing that first, uh, that course, acapella, and then we'll do a benediction. Acapella, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Have a word here?